Welcome to the Multiply Network Podcast, a podcast created to champion church multiplication, provide learning, and inspire new disciple-making communities across Canada. Hi there, welcome to the Multiply Network Podcast. My name is Paul Fraser, so glad that you tuned in today. Hey, leaders out there, you're doing a great job. Stay at it. Stay healthy. Uh, Keep leading with innovation and grace. You're doing a great job in these unusual and certain times. Hey, one focus that I think is emerging from this pandemic in church world is discipleship. How do we make disciples and were we making them before? I think there's a new openness amongst leaders to talk about models, methods, strategies. Obviously, the mission is the same, but those things are up for debate. I think we need to look at our international church and find out what they're doing and see if we can adopt some of those things. In this podcast, we talk with Jeff, who works at International Missions at the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada with Restricted Access Nation workers. And uh, we talk about disciple-making movements. What are they? Will they work in Canada? And is this the time for us to start to implement that? We cover a lot of ground on this, and I know you're going to get a lot out of it. I also want to say stick around for the prayer right at the end, the prayer of blessing. I want that prayer to be prayed over you. Hey, the interview's coming up right now. Hi, Jeff. Welcome to the Multiply Network podcast. Thanks. It's great to be with you, Paul. So great to have you on. Enjoyed getting to know you recently. We've had some good conversation around disciple-making movements. That's what we're going to be talking about today. But why don't you give us, uh, you know, a bit about, talk about your ministry journey and what you do now. Sure. Well, uh, about 15 years ago, my wife and I, and at that point, our uh, young child went overseas. We spent the last 15 years overseas, just arrived back in Canada last summer. And so, uh, yeah, what we've been doing for the last five years, been regional director for RAND. So uh, it's our entity within international missions that really has the expression of making disciples where the gospel is restricted. We have about 50 plus global workers who are in contexts where they can't go in with a missionary visa or identity and are still yet there to be able to see uh, the kingdom of God advance, particularly amongst the unreached. Right. And since September of 2019, I've been the director of strategic initiatives and mobilization for international missions. So I'm wearing a couple of hats these days. And uh, so that's what, uh, yeah, it's a little bit about us. And and quite a, quite a shift coming back to Canada, as we talked about, you know, just reintegrating back into Canadian culture after being in restricted access nations. Uh, but great to have you uh, in our international office uh, leading these things. So we're trying to get uh, voices, international voices, speaking into uh, the Canadian context of church multiplication. Just some some things that are rolling around in my head these days is we're planting churches in Canada, um, at, you know, at a pretty good rate. It's it's on the radar screens of many denominations, but nowhere in the world that is a church planting movement plants churches how we plant churches. I think we need to be talking to those leaders in international context, how are they planting churches? How are they making disciples? And so what did you, you're exposed obviously to so many uh, movements around the world that are seeing such tremendous growth, Jeff, 
What could movements around the world teach us in Canada about church multiplication? Well, it's a great question. And uh, for myself, uh, did eight years of pastoral ministry. So youth pastor, assistant pastor, was in Oshawa, was in Calgary, ended up overseas, and then looking at a restricted context. And all of a sudden, the whole model by which I was doing ministry really began to shift and change. I realized a lot of the things that I thought were absolutely essential to ministry became actually impossible to do in the context that I was in. And and I would say it this way, we we kind of tripped and fell and and into DMM. So it wasn't like we got training on it and then right. started to begin to do it. We actually ended up overseas in a context where we couldn't have buildings. You couldn't, you know, set, right. set out, say, 1030 on Sunday morning, see you here. Let's have pews and, you know, do a, you couldn't do any of that stuff. And so we began to really say, what is it that we're supposed to be in? We can't have buildings. We can't do this. And yet we were there wanting to see the kingdom of God advance. And so we, we kind of found ourselves in this place where we, we originally thought what we need to do is we need to see one individual who comes to faith. And so you evangelize and you share and you witness. And then, and then when you have that happen, then you would want to see, okay, maybe another person, then you add them together to create, you know, a, a, a group eventually. And then, and then at some point you'd get to the maturity at which you would be able to get them to share with others and see it grow. And, and eventually you look to, pass the baton and, and you allow local leadership to rise up. And, and we actually realized that all of those things become very difficult in terms of the journey forward and yeah. barriers. Yeah. And so being able to start with the end in mind was about being able to say, let's, let's begin to disciple groups. Let's begin to, uh, you know, have people share right from the very beginning. Let's have locals give leadership and I will help them to be able to lead right, right from the beginning rather than me leading. And then, passing it on. And, and, you know, even uh, 15 years ago, when I went, there was a book that had really shaped a lot of my thinking. It's not a new book. It's an old book. It's a master plan of evangelism by Robert E. Coleman. And wow. uh, he says some pretty provocative statements in there as it relates to ministry. But he said, Jesus had no formal school, no seminaries, no outline course of study, no periodic membership classes in which he enrolled his followers. None of these highly organized procedures considered so necessary today entered at all into his ministry. Having called his men, Jesus made it a practice to be with them. This was the essence of his training program, just letting his disciples follow him. Yeah. And so that's really, you know, with the, uh, some, some of those concepts in mind and, and with a lot of things that we couldn't do, we found ourselves discipling groups and, and releasing them to be able to share right from the very beginning. It's interesting you mentioned that you figured out some things that we think are essential here in Canada were not as essential overseas, and still church happened. Absolutely. Right. And I've actually got to the point now where, you know, I wasn't there 15 years ago, but now I'm, I'm kind of thinking, yeah, if we, if we start seminaries, write courses, author books— uh, do all of these sorts of things that we think are so essential to ministry, right. but we fail to make disciples. Yeah, I don't know that we've actually been doing what we're supposed to be doing. So it's it, it's yeah, my my thought patterns have grown over the last number of years, and and so are mine. You know, stepping into this role even two years ago, thinking through, okay, how do we get more churches started? How do we get more churches started? And I think that's still an important part. But I think we need to back it up and say we actually need to make disciples. 
We need new people coming to faith, making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. I think more churches are going to emerge. And so that's what we want to talk about today, those DMMs and how are they different from traditional church planting in Canada? Yeah, I I think that they're, they're very different. And uh, I think that if you're going to take a DMM approach, it is quite different from our traditional church planting model that we look at. In some ways, if you're going to look at it from a scriptural standpoint, I think we're, we oftentimes think from a Pauline approach. And we're looking at the ecclesiology. We're looking at how we do this and how we structure that. We build that versus, in some ways, the messianic approach that Jesus gave us of rabbinical discipleship. Right. And I think that, you know, it's not an either or, it's obviously a both and, uh, you know, but I do think that we can, and maybe this is a little bit, I'm wondering, can we actually plant churches without making disciples? Uh, is it possible to plant a church and we fail to make disciples? And it, it, if it, we, if we it, think of the church as buildings. <laughs> it's a good question. It's a good question because, you know, I think, I think our, I think right now our ecclesiology needs to be front and center, you know, as we think through the future. Um, but I think you're right. I think there's some churches that, that you know, and I encourage our young planters, well, all planters for that matter, that you're planting a church, not a worship gathering. Mm-hmm. And which means that, which means that, that discipleship is front and center. So, you know, just keep unpacking that. DMMs, how are they different? They're different. So, yeah, so the approach would be, you know, if I, if I was to under, and and let me say this, I'm no expert on DMM. We tripped into some of the principles. I've done some studies on it. There's others who are much better qualified on this and have had much greater experience. Uh, my understanding is you might be able to hear a little bit from Ethiopia, and they've seen some incredible movement stuff happen there. And so you'll be able to hear about that later. But yeah. uh, the principle, you know, is one, you start with a network and you enter that network to begin to disciple that group rather than discipleship being a solitary individual thing, which you begin after evangelism. And that person has made a commitment to faith. You begin to shift the thinking and you say, you start with a network, you enter that network and you begin to disciple that group, focusing on scripture alone. So what you explicitly do not do is start with a core group of believers who are committed to running the programs of the church and then trying to add non-believers onto that. Right. It's actually saying wow. you can plant a church with not yet believers. That's... So start with not yet believers and enter their network. And it's in some ways, it's this, you know, it's this going rather than this attractional model. So we're saying we're going to go and we're going to place ourselves within that network in an incarnational way. And we're going to be able to see a church planted amongst that group of people. I just need you to say that again. I don't even know if you remember what you said, but just this <laughs> idea, this idea of starting a church with people far from God. So when I went to, to North Africa, we ended up in a province. There was a million people. There was one believer. So, so you was know, it you? So, well, obviously, <laughs> yeah. Well, in addition to our family, okay, so we yeah, at the, at yeah, the local yeah. population. So obviously we can't start a church because there's no believers. And, and so what do you do? Well, actually you just begin to decide. I mean, I when it. did the disciples become saved, you know, or, or was it just come follow me? And, and on the journey, there was this just incredible growth. So beginning disciple from the very beginning, not waiting for them to make a 
you know, a statement of, of this is what I believe in right. and orthodoxy. And now we can begin to disciple, but actually just beginning from the very beginning. So planting churches amongst a network of people who are not yet believers. That is, that's a game changer to think that through because now anybody can be a church planter. Uh, uh, I was uh, in this uh, cadre with some other multiplying leaders and they had someone from, uh, you know, uh, the Middle East come over, walk into the church and say, Pastor, you know, they had four or 500 people in the church the Sunday he arrived. Pastor, look, we've got 500 church planters. I mean, like what a, it's just this <laughs> idea of like, what happens if, and I mean, what would happen if we just started planting people? You know, maybe instead of thinking planting churches, what happens if we, we started planting people in culture and maybe churches, you know, they plant people that plant the gospel and churches emerge. Um, I know it's a bit, and again, I'm with you. It's both and. It's not either or, but I don't see much of this model happening. And so I'm excited to chat with you about this. Like, do you see disciple-making movements a bigger part of the future in Canada? And if you do, why do you think that? I think that now, more than ever, we should be seeing DMM as part of our future here in Canada and particularly amongst the POC. We have been talking about 1,500 disciple-making communities Right. That's, that's what we would desire to see is, as the expression of the POC. And, and so can we really say, yeah, that's what it's about. It's, you know, as that individual who walked in that church said, there's four or 500 church planters here because we believe that every single person yeah. is a disciple who is making disciples. Right. And then that is the way that we view it. Why do I think now is the time? Because I actually think that in the same way that I ended up in a context 15 years ago where there's a lot of things that we couldn't do for the first time because of COVID, there's a lot of things that we can't do right now here in Canada. And I, uh, it's very interesting hearing the conversation that's going on. I feel that we are considering again, what church is we're in flux right now because many of the things that we considered to be the essential expressions of church Mm -hmm gathering together in a building on a Sunday morning at this hour are, are no longer part of it. And so, you know, appreciate some of the conversation that you've been a part of, even, you know, in terms of, oh, are we, do we have a, a, a physical church with a, with a digital footprint or do we have a digital church with a physical footprint? Right. And we're asking ourselves, you know, what are the essential elements of the church? This is the opportunity to be able to really focus again on disciples who make disciples. I think it's also harder uh, for people to to meet people and then invite them to church right now. That whole idea. Oh, yeah. I actually looked at CTV and I don't necessarily agree with it, but they were, uh, you know, listing listing uh, from public health experts. They ranked all the coronavirus risk level by activity. Yeah. Well, attending a church service is listed as the second most risky activity to do. Wow. So how are you? How are you supposed to go then to your neighbor and say, look? Our church has opened up again. Would you come and risk right. to be able to come and to be able to hear the gospel? We actually have got to right. realize that this is a moment where the kingdom of God is going to advance. And in as much there's this idea that 
over this COVID season, a lot of the cities that had a lot of vehicles moving around, that pollution level has completely dissipated. It looks very different from outer space. I think if we were to put a spiritual lens on things right now, yeah. I think we have seen a significant change as well. In the midst of COVID and the yeah. solitude and the sometimes maybe loneliness, there's this cry out to God, and I believe that the Spirit of God is at work in Canada and around yeah. the world, and that we're going to see great things happen for the kingdom in the coming months. And so it's, it's you know, what is church? And how yeah. are we going to actually best be the body of Christ and see the advancement of the kingdom in the, the post-COVID season that we're going to be walking into? And, you know, one of the things that we've chatted about, too, you know, kind of offline was this idea of engaging laity again and not relying on them to be, or sorry, not just relying on clergy, paid clergy to do the ministry, but there would be a releasing of laity to function as the church. And and so this decentralization has forced us again to just push spiritual formation back to homes, back to smaller settings. And, and I think that's a positive thing. I think this is the Holy Spirit uh, using, you know, a a very painful crisis on so many levels. I watched last night on CTV News that divorce rates, lawyers are saying we're receiving so many more calls and and people are 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 considering it because they don't their disagreements on economy or sorry, the economy's causing problems and and just being at home together, raising children and all the stresses that come with that divorce rate. There's there's of course the physical crisis. There's so many things happening. Um, you know, we have an opportunity here. God's going to use this decentralization, maybe to to send us to those crises, and uh, and you know, spirit empowered, full of faith, to see what God would do. I'm excited for this. So, how do we take, you know, these uh, DMM principles, mindsets, and strategies? How do we work that in now to our Canadian church planting? Uh, vision and strategies. Uh, one scripture that I love to go to is Luke chapter 10. And uh, in Luke chapter 10, you see Jesus appointing 70 and sending them two by two ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. You can see this plan that that Jesus had, and he sends them out. But it's incredible to look at the way in which he sent them out. And so in some of the DMM training that I've done, you know, how do we do church planting with a DMM mindset and strategy? Yeah. If you want to look at a scripture, it's it's this one right here, Luke chapter 10, where it talks about how how you go about it. And it's it's this person of peace idea that you go to one individual who already is in relationship within a community of people. Mm-hmm. And so here it was definitely within a village context or a you know a small city context. In, in our urban cities, it may be within a network of people. It may be within certain subsets and, and going and, and finding that person of peace where you're going and, and all of a sudden they welcome you in and you, you step into their world. And as you do that, you bring peace and you bring blessing and you begin to bring the good news. And there is the, you know, the, the healing. There is the freedom from demonic. There is the the ushering in of the kingdom. And, and you can read later on about how Jesus responded when they came back and they were all excited about this. And he says, rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. But Luke chapter 10 really captures some of those principles 
uh, for DMM. And so it's about us kind of taking that kind of a mentality in our church planting and going into those networks of people. It's also about reducing the barriers. There's all sorts of things that we do right. in the way we advance the kingdom or plant churches or make disciples um, that become barriers. And when we remove those, I believe that we can actually be more biblical. Mm -hmm. But as you mentioned, priesthood of all believers, you know, what would it look like if the laity was complete? And yep. I mean, we believe that that's a value that totally. we have, but the question would be to what degree are we willing to go on that? Wow. You know, let, let me give you a snapshot. We have uh, one of our workers in Rand who's in Asia and she's been doing DMM. Uh, with a group of four students. And so because of COVID, she's not able to meet with them physically, but she's meeting with them on Zoom. And uh, as she's doing that, she says, okay, I'm going to teach this to you. And one of the principles is you need to go and share that with somebody else. Now, news, most of those four are not yet believers. And yet they are bearing witness to the truth that she is teaching them and they're in contexts where one of them, the person they always share with is their dad, because they don't have actually a lot of circles. They've been yeah. they've been kind of confined as well. Yeah. So sharing with his dad, another one with her mom, you know, and so the 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 truth is being shared by not yet believers with those who are even further away. And Crazy. so it's this idea of what is it to be able to release? And so some of the barriers that we talk about within the DMM mindset and strategy is disciple from the start. Don't make disciples post-evangelism. Just begin with the whole idea of let's study scripture together. Right. Start with groups, not with individuals, because then you don't have the barrier of having to overcome going from one to the other. Talk about immediate obedience. And so that's one of those things, you know, Jesus said, uh, make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. It's not just about a head knowledge. It's not just right. orthodoxy. It's orthopraxy. What are we doing? And so... Uh, also being able to share right from the start. People don't need to accomplish something before they can take the truth that they've learned and share it. That's true. Set others to be leaders right from the very beginning. And then there's other things that, you know, uh, being overseas that we realize we don't need to set barriers of having to lecture with three-point alliterated sermons uh, or having a building even or having technology that's uncommon. You know, right. if you have to have a PowerPoint presentation, you know, in the overseas context, well, then in order to be able to have church, you have to have a projector and you have to have a computer, you have to be able to do PowerPoint. Right. So eliminating those and making it actually contextually appropriate. Now, those things may not be an issue in some places here in, in Canada, uh, but overseas they were. So trying to remove those so that we, we there's no barriers. It just, there, there can be this incredible exponential growth in the kingdom as you release laity, as we release everyone who is a disciple to make disciples. Yeah. You know, one of the things that that I think some of our, you know, church planters, they look to certain models because they 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 create, you know, large crowds, you know, right away, which, you know, then again bring finances in and are able to uh, you know, pay the pastor maybe a part or full time wage, you know, close to the beginning. And that's fine. That's great. Um but but if there was uh, another lane, it would be the bivocational or the co-vocational lane. I think uh, one of the reasons why maybe DMM isn't as popular is it isn't going to pay the bills. You have to find another way to you know cover those expenses. Cover you know obviously you're going to take care of your family. It's a step of faith. I get that. 
I think still, and I've said it before, I'll keep saying it, bivocational and co-vocational is a big part of our future as it relates to, you know, living, like you said, less attractional, more scent. Um, what are your thoughts about the bivocational, co-vocational thinking and mindset and model? Absolutely. Glad you brought it up. I think that, you know, this is one of those times that we go to Paul and we say, look at Paul. Right. Now, in, in, in our context, many of us end up with this bivocational or uh, we have another reason by which we're entering the restricted countries that we're going into. So it might be teaching or it might be starting a business or it might be NGO work, whatever it would be. And it's essential for us to be able to get there. Paul also had something else. It's where the whole idea of tent maker. So we use that to describe today what some of us do overseas, but actually that's what the apostle Paul, he was a tent maker. Now he didn't have an issue of visas. He wasn't like, well, I can't get there. So I'm going to have right. to be a tent maker to be able to go there. He actually had this free pass along the, the Roman empire to be able to, to go where he wanted. Right. So why would he do that? Well, we do have some, some snippets into it. One is this, you know, he was an apostle and he had right to those funds and he goes through this argument, but yep. he chose not to be a burden to those who are to be able to receive the, the gift. Yep. And so he talks about that. But the other thing I think is that when you're breaking new ground, identity can actually be quite significant. Yep. When we find ourselves living amongst and relating only to Christians, how do we desire, how are we going to be able to see the kingdom of God advance? amongst those who are not yet believers. We have to be able to find a way to be able to relate to them. And one of the absolute best ways, and the Apostle Paul showed it, you know, I think he was known as, oh, the tent maker yeah. who was with Priscilla and Aquila. Totally. It yeah. wasn't like, oh, the Apostle Paul. They would probably go, the Apostle? No, 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 but you mean the tent maker Paul? Yeah, yeah. tent maker Paul. That's yeah. who it is. And so it, he had this very common identity that people knew him. Now, what he did was absolutely apostolic. Uh, but it was, who is he known as? And I think that there is this element, not just for financial reasons or for accessibility reasons, but actually for this ability to be able to live alongside people and to be able to model uh, the life of Christ. And and maybe we don't look at it as a burden. You know, it's like, oh, I have to be bivocational. So, you know, but actually look at it at a, as an opportunity for mission. And that's that where that co-vocational ideas coming from. It's like, yeah, you may work at a bank and plant a, 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 a church or a DMM, but that bank moment, that time that you're connecting with community is just as important as when you preach on Zoom or lead an alpha or all of it is just ministry. Every minute, every moment, there's no sacred and secular. You bring the kingdom Absolutely. with you wherever you go. Imagine if we could get that thinking into into all of our lives and to all of those that are that call themselves followers of Christ and we just embed them and just in culture and it's just like your light and dark I know I'm preaching to the choir so absolutely I mean work <laughs> was not a result of the fall right work was a divine gift to humanity pre-fall that's what God gave us and so now yes we experience you know, work by the sweat of our brow, and there are elements of it that have been tarnished, but it was a, it was a good gift. And for us to think that, you know, work is the, is the, you know, just kind of, oh, it's the evil that we have to put up with, or yeah. the difficulty, or the, or the challenge that we have to put up with, so we can do the, the sacred things, 
it's actually, it's all God's. Right. It's all sacred. Yeah, everything. It's amazing. So there's, again, we've been a movement, you know this, PAUC, but there's other movements that are older, obviously, than us. But in Canada, celebrated last year, 100 years of being organized, at least. Uh, <laughs> we were we were around before. Uh, but, you know, 1919, 100 years, we've got lots of existing churches, uh, close yeah. to 1,100. Uh, or, yeah, cl- climbing to eleven hundred. Um, how do we how do we build this DMM mindset into the DNA of existing churches? I think it was part of who we were back then when we first started. We've moved away from that. I think we need to get that DNA back. How do you think we can do that? Speak to some pastors out there that are leading churches. Uh, leading some existing churches in Canada. Absolutely. So I, I, you know, even within IM, we've been on a process of reimagine, and we've been talking about this. You know, recapturing that pioneer uh, apostolic root of, right. of who we have been, and we still are. But I would, I would caution and say it, it could be disruptive. I would say that, you know, if, if one is to say, let's let's get the mindset of DMM into the existing church, it could be disruptive. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it's not from God. Right. So l- beginning with prayer is actually one of the very, you know, Thank fundamental you. principles of DMM. That's like, good. We never see a movement happen anywhere in the world unless it's in response to the Spirit of God moving through, you know, f- t- in response to fervent perpetual Amen you know, prayer. And it's not the just kind of normal kind of prayer. It's this fervent, perpetual, desperate kind of prayer. That's now God stirs our hearts to pray. And then he responds to the prayers that we have. That's the way he works. And it's still a mystery to me. But, you know, there have been studies that have been done saying, okay, of all, you know, take 100 people who who have seen movements happen around the world where there's, you know, a thousand baptisms or or 10,000, you know, new church plants and, and just incredible exponential yep. growth. What is the one commonality? The only thing that they could find that was of common amongst every single one was fervent perpetual prayer. Okay, let's just pause there. I I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I'm I'm asking the Lord these days for a bigger burden to pray. I I don't want it to be a religious routine to think of my neighbors and just oh I guess I should just cross this off the list. I'm asking the Lord for a burden. Yeah. You know, just in prayer that just that that it's like I don't know what else to do. I'm so burdened I have to go to prayer. I, I couldn't agree more. I feel like we as a movement have to get back to prayer. And and I'm not saying we don't pray. I'm not saying we don't think it's important. I'm just saying when you, you when you mentioned that fervent, persistent prayer, it just hit me. I felt convicted when you said that, that we have to get back to that. Do you have any thoughts on how we do that? So... What you just said there, as I said it, there was this conviction inside of you. You know why? Because I believe that that's the Spirit of God that's drawing us. And if we would simply respond to His mm-hmm. drawing into that place of prayer, then I think that the Spirit will take care of it. If we can say, yeah, we need to tarry, we need to wait, we need to allow the presence of the Holy Spirit to 
to come upon us afresh again so that we would be mm. those who would bear witness yeah that we would do that 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 we would begin to see some incredible things happening in our hearts and our lives and then also in the world that he's called us into so yeah yeah i so i just wanted to stop there i know you have some other thoughts so obviously let's start with prayer we can you know infuse some of that dna those principles anything else that we can do to get this dmm mindset into churches I think that, you know, I'm going to share one thought and then I'll give another quote from Robert Coleman. Um, I think that our small groups, we need to think about them, not just as Bible studies for those who are already believers, but that we begin to think about those as the means by which we see the advancement of the kingdom. It's a very different mindset from what I, you know, experienced years ago, you know, where you know, people who have been believers for 10 years, 15 years, 30 years, and, and doing scriptural studies together. It's very encouraging. Fellowship is rich. It's wonderful. But our small groups don't just need to be that. If we can take our small groups and allow that to be the way that we get into community, that, you know, taking some of that right. DMM idea of, I'm going to go and place myself and build relationships within a network to be able to disciple a group of people, that's a small group. Yeah. I think that sometimes our, our Sunday service, we, we say, yeah, why don't you come and, and listen to the preacher so that you can hear the gospel message? And and I think that in some ways our, our Christian culture, you know, as we progress in time becomes even more foreign. And I, I've heard it from the, the, you know, the mission field and places where people are not very uh, familiar with church, you know, when you bring somebody in and afterwards they go, that was very interesting. The karaoke was really quite good. And they're talking about the worship service. You know, it's just that there, yeah. there isn't, the, it's the unchurched, you know, yeah. and, and, and our culture seems somewhat strange, but you begin to do that in a small group relational setting and begin to look at scripture. It becomes a whole different entry point where, yeah, the, the worship service later becomes a, a point of celebration. But can we, can we begin to see that? And, and the quote is this, and this is why I say it can be disruptive. One must decide where he wants his ministry to count, in the momentary applause of popular recognition or in the reproduction of his life in a few chosen men. Now, this is, you know, from the 1960s, so so pardon the fact that it's saying men only. Yeah. Obviously, Women, it's everyone. Of course. Uh, yes. Who will carry on his work after he is gone? Life of a few chosen men who will carry on his work after he's gone. I mean, that's the model that Jesus had, you know. Some would look at him and say, wow, like he had 12, one of them denied him, you know, one of them, uh, you know, Judas, you know, I mean, not a great track record in, in everything. And yet that was it. You know, those, that's what he left behind. Yeah. I, I, it just gives, you know, when you bring that up, it just gives me, you know, just this thought, if, if, if God could be proud of something, like if Jesus could be proud of his ministry, would he be proud of the miracles he did? the crowds that followed, would he be proud about his prayer life, you know, and, and how, you know, would he be proud about being anonymous for, you know, the better part of 30 years? And, you know, what would, what would, what would he, what would he look at? I think he would look at those 12, some of them teenagers, you know, looking at them and go, look what they did. Yeah. You know, and I, I, when I look back at, you know, my life and what I'm most proud of, it's, you know, having a healthy marriage, obviously, but looking at my kids, looking at some of my spiritual 
kids, you know, students over the years, leaders over the years that are just excelling. Um, yeah, that's it. That's that's an interesting thought to me today. Thanks, Jeff, for bringing that up. Um, why does the church in Canada need to move in this direction? And let me maybe ask it a different way. What happens if we don't? Well, I think that if we don't move in this direction, then God will find somebody else who's willing to step into what he is planning on doing by the power of his spirit. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, in my life, I have experienced that. When we got to move into that place in North Africa, we weren't the first people that God asked, but I was very thankful that some other people actually said no, because we had the joy of being there and seeing the church advance. Um, why should we move in this direction? I think because we love God, and because we love God, we keep his commands, and the Great Commission is not for missionaries only. Mm -hmm. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, verse 20 is not about going. It's wherever you go, as you go. And the emphasis is on make disciples. And so I, I believe that we have to allow that scripture to be the guide for all of us as believers. Jesus didn't leave it for missionaries alone. He left it for everyone to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything yeah. that I've commanded you. And I think because the current situation warrants it. Yeah. Our country of Canada is in a great place of spiritual need. And I think the only, uh, for me, DMM is one way for us to be able to get outside the walls of our yep. church to be able to see the kingdom advance. And so because of that, I think we have to do it. And because the reality of what COVID has brought upon us, I think that it again is, you know, we kind of tripped into it because we found ourselves in a restricted context where there's lots of things we couldn't do. And Canada all of a sudden has a few things also that it can't do with that used to be what people understood to be church. So it's the current situation of COVID. It's the incredible spiritual need. And it's our passion to live in such a way that we say, God, I love you to the degree that I'm willing to follow your commands. Well said. Thanks, Jeff, for, you know, jumping on today and sharing your heart with us. But I was wondering, and I don't know if I've done this yet with all of our podcasts. I think we're up to 40 episodes. Maybe I should be doing this more. But I'm wondering if you would just pray yeah. for all those who are listening. Um, maybe there's some, you know, maybe there's some out there that are feeling the call to missions as you talk about that internationally. Mm. Um, maybe there are some that are feeling a call to their neighborhood, call to their workplace. Um, maybe feeling that they need to shift some things in their church. Maybe there's a church planter out there that was really sold on one model, and now you've you've brought some other things to light that maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking. Just wondering if you could pray over us before we go today. And so, if you're out there listening, you know, just would you would you just be open to what the Spirit is saying to you today? Because this is just too important for us to not like you mentioned before, respond. We have to respond to the Spirit. And so, Jeff, why don't you lead us in prayer as we close? Thanks for the opportunity. Father, we come before you and we thank you. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. You love us so incredibly. Mm -hmm. And thank you, God, that you have asked us to join you in mission. 
whether that's in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, or to the uttermost ends of the earth. And God, we are so privileged mm-hmm. to be able to partner with you, to be called to work alongside you in what you are doing by your spirit. So we begin by asking that you would draw us into that place of prayer. God, we do not want to be doing things that are not uh, birthed in prayer. God, we don't want to be doing things that are just our own ideas or strategies or tactics, but we want something that is birthed by your spirit and it is birthed in prayer so that we are aligning ourselves with your plans and your purposes and your will. God, I thank you that your desire and your heart is for this nation and for every nation, that there would be those who come to life-saving knowledge and of who you are and step into relationship. God, may we also find ourselves having that same heartbeat. Right. God, for our neighbors, God, for those who are in our city, for the newcomer or for the one who's been here for decades, God, I pray that you would allow us to begin to see the fields white unto harvest. And God, where we have failed to see it before and where we have simply looked at the the, the world from a from a very secular uh, physical point of view, God, may we put on the kind of vision that allows us to see the people around us from your perspective. Yes, Lord. God, that we would see what you desire to do in their hearts. God, to see how you're already at work in their lives, and that there's others who, in the in the journey of their lives, they have spoken to them. And God, may we find our place in obedience to you to be able to see those individuals come and draw closer to you. God, I pray that you would allow us to be those who are honoring you, bringing you glory because we also are making disciples. God, that we would be able to see an incredible harvest yes, Lord. within this nation around the world. God, I thank you what you're doing by your spirit in these days as you are calling us to prayer. God, in the silence and in the solitude of some of the moments that we've had in COVID, God, you have allowed us to find ourselves on our knees calling out to you, and you have drawn us by your spirit. May we continue to respond, not just in this season, but as we transition into the next, to be able to see what it is that you are about to do, and may we align ourselves with that. Yes, Lord. God, I thank you. God, I thank you for the vision of multiplication. God, I thank you that you are the one who desires to see 60, 80, 100 fold. And may we see it in our day. Yes, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Jeff, for for that and for your heart and for what you're continuing to do. We, uh, You're a friend of the Multiply Network, so uh, hopefully... Hopefully we can have you on again, stick around, and look forward to future connections. Thanks again for jumping on today. That's great. Thanks so much. Blessings.